Music provided by Armstrong. Visit armstrongofficial.com to hear more badass music. Welcome to the TriCast Gaming Podcast. Greetings and welcome everyone to episode number 112, 112 of the TriCast Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Philip Grimlockini, and I'm joined tonight by a very special guest, a returning guest, Kyle Kinetic Kyber Greenhaw. Welcome to the show tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's been, it's good to be back on. I didn't think it'd be this quick, but <laughs> I'll take it. Um, but yeah, glad to be back on. It'll be yeah, fun. Yeah, well, you... You did such a great job last time that I was like, man, if I'm ever stuck again, I'm going to call Kyle. And uh, sure enough, it seems that both Mike and Jason are sick tonight. Um, And so they can't be here, which I actually have a sick house, too. I didn't tell you this before, but my oldest got COVID again. So we've got COVID in the house again. So it seems like everybody's kind of getting stuff right now. I'm, I'm fine. I didn't, I didn't get it at least not yet. Didn't get it this time. Yeah. Um, So, but anyway, it seems like everybody's kind of feeling unwell and stuff. So hopefully all is going well on your side. And I appreciate you uh, jumping in at the last minute to, to give this a whirl again. Oh yeah, no, I'm glad to be back. Um, I mean, it's kind of been crazy on my side too, not necessarily sickness wise. Thank goodness. But um, I've got allergies. That's been messing with me a lot with all the rain that Lubbock got a couple weeks ago. Everything's blooming at the end of summer, which yes. my uh, nose doesn't know how to deal with. So I've been dealing with that. But then this week has just been insanely busy. And so it, it's nice to, when you sent me the message today. I was like, it'll be a good way to kind of relax and end the week because it's been crazy with school and work and everything so yeah i mean you you're crazy man you do you go to school full-time and you work pretty much full-time right so it's a it's a lot yeah i work as much as they'll let me as a student since i'm working for tech so i'm working about 25 hours a week and then right now i'm just taking two classes but that's mostly just because of the classes they are and with work schedule and stuff so very good. But I mean, there are multiple, I mean, like Tuesdays and Thursdays this week. I mean, I get, I get to campus at 9 a.m. and I'm not home until like 7.30 p.m. Yeah. So it's been crazy. Well, I'll say like, if you're going to try to get into the, to the, uh, you know, the, the aerospace uh, government contract industry, that doesn't sound too dissimilar to my typical Monday through Friday. So <laughs> maybe oh, it's I a, can imagine. Maybe it's a good warm up. But anyway, I know the listeners are here for all things nerdy. So let's get into some nerdy shit. Um, so I I traveled up to Lubbock a couple of weeks ago and you and I met up there. And mm-hmm. when I was flying, so now this movie is like stupid long. So and and the, the flight to Lubbock is pretty short. So I actually had to watch it across my flight there and then my flight back. But I watched the new Batman movie, the one with um, what's his name from from the Twilight series. Uh, I can um, never remember his name. But the, I, the, if you hadn't asked, I would know it. I want to say it's like Pattinson or something like Patterson or something it, like that. Is it Robert Pattinson? Is it or something, Robert pa- something like that. Anyway, yeah. he's, the, he's the guy from Twilight, and so he's the new Batman in this movie. And this movie is literally three hours long. So it, it is it is really long. And I gotta say that I really didn't like it. Now I know Mike was into it. Have you seen it? 
I have seen it. Okay. And um, go ahead. Well, like, why why did you not okay. like it? Yeah. So, like, I know Mike was into it, but for me, I just. I did, first of all, I was thrown off by his performance. I didn't think he was a particularly great Batman. He wasn't bad by any stretch, but I didn't think he was on the same level of like Christian Bale or some of the other, you know, really good Batmans that we've had. But I thought that they're mixed because so Batman the universe has always had this like there's technology, but it's also gothic and kind of old and you know, sometimes the computers look like old computers, but they can do new tech stuff. And that's cool. I like that vibe, but the way they tried to pull in like social media stuff to it, I really thought was cringy. I, I just didn't like that in, in a Batman movie. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want that in my Batman movies. Um, so I thought that was pretty cringy and that really took a lot away from me. I also thought Catwoman wasn't a particularly great character. Um, I just I was not I was not really into her performance um, or or even, you know, that character's arc across the movie. Um, so that's, I think, really the big reasons why I found myself um, really disliking the movie. But I, I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, is it is it me or am I am I on to something? So it's definitely not just you. So I personally enjoyed it, but. I was able to kind of separate it from the Christopher Nolan movies. So I went in with like totally like negative thoughts, like from the beginning because of Robert Pattinson. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I'd never watched any of the twilights, but like the clips I'd seen, it's like, he didn't seem like a great actor to me. Right. From that. But I feel like he did a much better job as Batman than I thought he was going to coming in. Sure. But I'll agree with you on the Catwoman. I don't feel like her character really added anything in this movie. Like when in the Christopher Nolan movie, when they introduce Catwoman in, is it the second or third that they introduce? It's, it's the third, isn't it? I think. I think it's the third because the yeah. second is all about the Joker. That's and right. The first yeah. is all about uh, Randall Thor and, and mm-hmm. his, his evolution into becoming Batman. Uh, yeah, I felt like sh- I felt like Catwoman had a lot more to do with the plot and like moved to the actually like added something to the movie in the last Chris- Christopher Nolan film. But I don't feel like she really added anything in this one. Um, I hadn't ever really thought about the like adding social media to Batman. I guess um I didn't really even notice it until you mentioned it. I was like, I hadn't thought about that, but in my eyes, I think it's a decent Batman. I don't think it comes close to the Christopher Nolan dark Knight trilogy whatsoever. I still, in my personal opinion, I think those are like the best superhero movies, almost bar none. They're, they're really, really good. I, I I have to admit, um, real quick, I have to, Correct myself. I said Randall Thor. I have no idea why I said it. it's Raz Al Ghul. I don't know where I got Al Thor, but I have to correct myself before anybody corrects me next week. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but if I were to kind of pinpoint what I didn't like about the bat about Pattinson's Batman, I thought his Batman, like when he was Batman, 
was actually pretty good. I thought what he did a really poor job of, and I and, and it may have been the writing. Who knows? The directing, the writing, who knows? But what I didn't like was when he was Bruce Wayne and sort of the in-between when they're trying to kind of engage with his personality, his inner thoughts, his emotions, whether he's Batman or Bruce Wayne, because there were moments when either persona, they were trying to engage in that with him. And that's the part that I felt wasn't very good. When he was just pure Batman, I thought he did pretty good. Uh, but the other stuff was difficult for me. And then, and you know, like you said, the, the Nolan trilogy is so good. And, and that, that kick-started, I mean, I always liked Batman, but that kick-started like where I started reading comics and all kinds of stuff about Batman uh, was the Nolan trilogy. So it is very difficult as well for me uh, to separate that one from any sort of new iteration of Batman going forward. It's the same, the same stuff has happened with the suicide squad stuff and the, and Jared Leto's Joker and those kinds of movies that I haven't been able to engage in them very well because I like the Nolan trilogy so much. I will say though, that I felt like the Riddler as a villain in this movie and the performance from the actor was very good. I don't, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say, like Joker level from from Batman Two. I'm trying to remember what's what was his name, the actor's name. He passed away. He committed suicide right shortly afterwards. Um, it was, was it Heath Ledger? Thank you, Heath Ledger. Yeah, his performance of the Joker was 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 incredible. But I thought the guy who played the Riddler and that character in this movie was not far behind. It was. I thought it was really good. That was probably my favorite part of the movie was his character and how, especially like how they developed him at the end and everything that uh, he encompassed. And it was very similar to, I guess, the sort of Court of Owls graphic novel series and how the Riddler, you know, blows down the, the walls, um, the, the, what are they called? The, the levees or whatever that holds back the river from the city because the oh, city yeah. is actually lower than the river level. So in the, in the graphic novels for the Court of Owls stuff, um, Riddler does the same thing and the city goes into chaos and there's sort of like an apocalyptic event happening in the middle of Gotham. And so, you know, the movie ends with that. I thought they did a good job with all of that for sure. Mm -hmm. But I I definitely agree. I think the Riddler for me is kind of what carried the movie personally. I also didn't enjoy the like, it almost felt like an emo Bruce Wayne without a better way to put it. He was yeah. all like, he had the hair covering one eye. He yes. was, I mean, yes, Bruce Wayne is supposed to like brood and stuff, yes. but he, it almost felt like he never had the Bruce Wayne persona, like the mask that he puts on to like be a billionaire. You mm-hmm. never saw that. It was always like depressed emo Bruce Wayne and then Batman. Right. There was no like trying to make face for Gotham as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Now, as I, like I say, like I didn't like that, but as I mentioned, the sort of Court of Owls graphic novel series, it sort of brings up in my mind, and I kind of remember seeing this in the movie, but it's meant to be him as sort of a younger Batman, like early on in his Cape Crusader career. So, again, maybe that's like direction from the director that is intentional. Uh, which if that's the case, you know, like I can kind of 
accept that a little bit more. I just, it didn't hit with me as well. Um, but I did like the parts where he was like just riding on his motorcycle, not really in the Batman costume and stuff. Um, and again, all of that is uh, very similar to, I guess it's not really the Court of Owls, but it's the new Batman graphic novels. Um, hmm. I don't know if you've read any of them. I'm going to I'm gonna step away from the computer for a second to go grab one, but you kind of go ahead and, and respond to that and I'll, I'll be right back. Okay. So no, I haven't read any of the like Batman comics or anything, but, um, and I, I can understand like them going if they were wanting to go for that, like brooding Batman, then I definitely understand that that's like their take on Batman. And so I'm more okay with it thinking of it that way. But I, I think I just personally liked like the two sided, like the, almost seeing like the two faces of Batman is what I enjoy. Like the billionaire Bruce Wayne who has to make face and be this crazy outgoing. Um, I mean, billionaire versus the Batman who is only completely serious at all times. And yeah. so I understand the art direction, but I think me personally, I prefer the difference, yeah, like the dichotomy of it. It's definitely a more a deeper character for sure when you see the two sides of them. Um, anyway, I, I went and grabbed this. This is what I was talking about: the new Fifty Two series. Um, I was trying to look up the date of when these started releasing. Um, looks like twenty twelve is when it's they started releasing. Like, oh, okay, um, yeah. But and the Court of Owls was the volume one, um, and there's a whole bunch of them. But it it definitely has the same vibe because he, you know, this series starts with. A younger Bruce Wayne. Um, I think in the movie he mentions he's like 23, but the same with this with this series. It starts with a younger Bruce Wayne. He's kind of finding his feet. He's definitely more depressed. He's not really confident in himself yet. Does a lot more of the riding around, not in the actual bat suit. You know, those kinds of uh, those kinds of moments. And then it, the, I think I think it's 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 either the fourth or fifth. Um, volume is when the riddler blows the 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 dams or the levees and floods the city and everything so it definitely follows the arc of the first uh few volumes of the new 52 batman uh okay so yeah all right well that's a lot of batman i don't know if all of our (laughs) listeners are batman fans um real quick i want to touch on she hulk before we get into video games i've watched the first few episodes have you seen them yet I have not seen any of it yet. I'm still pretty far behind with the Marvel shows. I'm currently about halfway through Hawkeye, but the like clips and like discussion I've seen about it on Twitter, even though I've tried to avoid spoilers, I, what I've seen, it hasn't been good. There hasn't been like much good talk about it, but what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, there's a lot of discourse on the show uh, right now, and there's a lot of like typical response of, oh, you only dislike it because it's a strong female character, which always aggravates the hell out of me because I've gone on the show espousing my absolute love for Horizon Zero Dawn, so you can have a really good main female character, um, and and I can love it. It it's, it's, has nothing to do with being a female character. It, for me, the show is just, I don't know, it's it's kind of cringy for me. I, I don't really like it. It seems to be really leaning into what I believe are largely social media tropes, but maybe these kinds of things live in people's heads uh, in different parts of the country, and I don't realize it. 
But yeah, I, I just I found it cringy. I really have. I haven't really enjoyed it. I'm gonna keep trying. Like I want to like it. I want to like the premise, but I, I'm just really struggling with it so far. So again, I was hoping maybe you'd seen it because I could I could find out if it was just me. But that's totally fine. You know, I just thought I, I had to mention it because um, I'm just getting to the point where a lot of these Marvel shows are not really doing it for me anymore, and so. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if maybe the the Marvel burn is going out for me, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, enjoy Hawkeye. I do. I did like that show. Um, but uh, before we get into games, anything else you want to add? Um, I was just gonna say that I've kind of I'm kind of running into the like more Marvel burnout too. Like I did. I haven't even seen the new Thor yet. And I noticed today that it was on Disney, Disney Plus. Plus. And I was like, wow. That I think that's the first like mainline Marvel movie that I've not seen in theaters. At least since I was like Oh gosh. I don't I don't remember how I don't remember what the first one was. But as long as I can remember back, I've seen all of them <clears throat> in the theaters. I think the first one was the Hulk movie, uh with uh, it was the old Hulk. Uh, what's his name? The guy from um, from Fight Club. I'm trying to remember that actor's oh, name. Oh yeah. So, so um, the the original, like the very first uh, Marvel movie in the whole series, was the Hulk, and it had a different actor playing the Hulk. And um, I actually thought the movie wasn't too bad, but a lot of people hate on it. So, and then I think shortly yeah. after that was Iron Man. I think that was the second one. They, yeah, uh, I I remember seeing the Hulk. I think I actually saw the Hulk after seeing Iron Man. I think Iron Man was where I started, and then I got into, then I went back and watched the Hulk and stuff. But I mean, the Hulk came out in '08, so I was ten years old when that came out. So I don't <laughs> think I saw it in theaters. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I was already mostly through college, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you for my daily dose of, I feel old now, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I had to throw it in there somewhere. I figured I, it was come up at some point, but I, I appreciate that. Edward Norton is the name of the actor that I was trying to remember. And of course they've replaced him now uh, with Mark. Is it Mark Ruffalo? I think that's his name. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into some video games because you know what? Uh, each and every week we do get together to channel our virtues through the Triforce and provide you, the listener, all the hottest topics from the mythical world of video games. We also add in as much of our colorful thoughts and fill-up monologues as you can handle in a week simply because we love video games and discussing them. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. And if you really enjoy it, please share on social media or directly with your friends. This show continues to grow thanks to all of your wonderful support. You can find us on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at TriCastGamingP1. And as I said last week, I really only check Facebook and Twitter, so try to hit me up there. TriCast Gaming P1, that's where you got to go. Uh, also, our website, TriCastGamingPodcast.com. DM us on any platform. I'd be happy to share your questions, thoughts, concerns, ideas, whatever you have on this show. All right, before we get into what we're, ga- uh, what we're what we're what we've been gaming this week, I want to do a little something because this week the Queen of England passed away, Queen Elizabeth II. She was 96 years old. That's insane to me, 96. She saw every single World Cup, every World Cup that's ever been played. The Queen of England, she saw them. That's crazy to me to think about. She's going to miss this 
god-awful one coming up in Qatar this winter. But in honor of her, I thought I'd dig up a pretty interesting little gaming story, since we are a gaming podcast, and share it. So I'm going to read a little bit here for y'all. Bear with me, and hopefully you enjoy it. The 70-year-old re- 70 year reign of Queen Elizabeth II ended yesterday with her death. She will be remembered for the many historical events and world figures from which it intersected. But among video fa- fans of video games, she will also be remembered for a marketing stunt from a now-defunct video game publisher that sent a gold-plated Wii to Her Majesty. That's right, a gold-plated Wii. The story of the Queen's connection to the Nintendo console begins in early 2008 when the UK tabloid Sunday People published a lightly sourced story alleging that the, quote, gadget-loving Queen had become hooked on Prince William's new Nintendo Wii game console, end quote. An unnamed palace source supposedly told the paper that the Queen begged to join in after seeing then-25-year-old William playing with his Christmas gift from then-girlfriend Kate Middleton. That's how old this story is. That's right. <laughs> then-girlfriend Kate Middleton at Sandring- Sandringham House. The, thin a- the then-81-year-old monarch reportedly had hand-eye coordination that was as good as somebody half her age and showed all the signs of becoming a, quote, Nintendo addict. Fast forward to 2009 when THQ launched Big Family Games, known in the U.S. as Neighborhood Games, for the Wii. The badly reviewed Wii Sports knockoff focused on games like bocce, horseshoes, and ladder golf, and would be little remembered today if not for a unique marketing campaign cooked up by THQ UK. To stress the family part of the title, THQ said it sent a copy of the game to the royal family, arguably the most important family in the country. As THQ's Daniel Robinson put it in the accompanying press release, to give the story a bit of extra pizzazz, THQ commissioned a uniquely gold-plated, uh, sorry, a unique gold-plated Wii to send along with the game because, quote, we thought that Her Majesty the Queen wouldn't want to play on just any old console, end quote. How about that for a story, Kyle? Uh, long may she be remembered purely for her gold-plated Wii and not any of the other wondrous things or non-wondrous things, depending on what part of the world you're from, that Queen Elizabeth II did. I love that story. That's hilarious to me that THQ sent that as a marketing stunt. That that Can makes you, me wonder how true that story is. Like if she really like went in and like was playing with like her son and stuff. <laughs> Can you imagine like, and then you forgot to put the strap on, you accidentally threw your like gold plated weed nunchuck out the window or something like that. <laughs> I can't imagine like doing some of those Wii Sports games with a golden nunchuck. That would just be so heavy. I feel like that would be it'd turn into a real workout really quickly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, long live the queen, except she's not alive anymore. But uh, anyway, I thought that story was fun. Um, let's get into what we've been playing this week. I've been I've been reading a bit. So why don't you kick us off, Kyle? So, um, early on this week, I finished uh, As Dusk Falls on Game Pass, and I was actually really surprised by this one. So, I started it maybe about a month ago, and I've just been playing it intermittently since then, but um, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun, and it, like, had a really meaningful story and was pretty heartfelt, especially towards the end. And I was, I mean, honestly, just really surprised by it. It was the first of those, like, quote-unquote, walking simulator games where you're just sitting there doing, like, choosing 
uh, like making choices. And then every now and then there was a quick time event, but really it was, it was almost just like watching a movie that you got to choose the, um, you got to choose for the characters, like what was happening. And so I think it took me about eight hours to finish my playthrough, but, um, it's a, it, it was a lot of fun and really surprising. So what did you think of the art style? Cause I know when I saw some of the, the trailers for that game back during the summer showcases, I was really put off by the art style. I thought it was almost like borderline nauseating for me to look at. And maybe it was just the way the trailer was put together, but I, I wasn't a big fan of it. So how did you find the art style? So at first I would agree. It was a little jarring at first to get used to that, but not too long into it. I felt like I got used to it and it like started to make sense. Like the way, like, I mean, it was basically just like stop motion. So like, if you're thinking about it like that, almost like a, I mean, I started viewing it almost like I was like watching a comic play off in front of me, almost like a movie. I'm pretty sure that's what they were going for. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was definitely an artistic choice. And I, I, by the end of it, I really enjoyed it, but I, I'll agree with you. When I very first saw it, I was in the camp of the GTA five loading screen, the game. Yeah. Without giving too many spoilers though. Uh, how, how was this? How was the story? Like it was, I mean, there were way more twists and turns than I thought were going to happen. And there were like, like some games, like I played a little bit of some telltale games in the past, but there was like big consequences for some of the decisions you made. And it would like tell you, like there would be this icon that popped up in the top left corner. If it was like a big decision, it would pop up like a crossroad sign. So you okay. knew that whatever you choose there, like changes the story drastically. Did you go and back so, and try to see any of the different endings? I plan to, but I haven't yet. So I actually like ended with, I think like a 5%. So every choice you make, it shows you how many people made that same choice. Cause at okay. the end of each chapter, it shows you like the storyboard of your choices, that chapter. So you can see like whenever you made a choice, there was another option, but it's blacked out until you see it. But it tells you like what percentage of people chose it. So I think at the very end, like the ending I got, I think it was like 5% of players that finished it, like like got to that ending. So I'm really curious as to what it'll, I want to go back and like delve into what those choices actually did. Cause there's, there's one choice in particular and I mean, if you, if anyone plays it, they'll know which one I'm talking about. If they choose like I did that, you really want to see what happens if you don't do what I did. I, I don't, I'm trying to do it without spoilers, which is really difficult because it's like yeah. a huge spoiler. If I say okay. anything, why don't, about why don't it, we but, like give people like a, a three seconds pause. If you don't want to hear what Kyle has to say, Look out real quick and come back to us in like 20 seconds. Okay, go, Kyle. Okay, so full spoilers for this one choice. There's a point at which you, I mean, you're the captive in this, you're like in a captive situation. or And so you are like drug out of this building 
where the criminals are holed up and the guy is holding a gun to your head and he's like yelling at the cops and like trying to make a deal with them. And then you see on his head, there's a red dot, like a sniper. Okay. So like you see the sniper reticle and it Mm -hmm. gives you the choice to warn him about it or say nothing. So you're mm. basically choosing whether that character lives or dies. Dies. Okay. Yeah. And wow. I didn't think I was I didn't think I was this kind of person, but I I totally didn't warn him. Totally just let them shoot his head off. <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> but it Very was good. It, I really want to go back and see what changes if I don't do that. Like if right. I warn him. Like yeah. how much like how much does it change the story? Yeah. Well, it's really so. cool that they show the the percentages of players that end up with your ending and that they really embrace that choose your own adventure part of it because that is those kinds of games I think make or break on how good that piece of it is because that's really your gimmick and and I shouldn't say gimmick. That's your that's your game pe- gameplay hook because, you know, you're not physically playing a game, but mm-hmm. there is that that's your hook for that. So, I'm glad to, to hear that they embrace that and everything. Um, do you want to give it a rating? Do you want to oh, issue yeah. an official TriCast Gaming or not? Uh, yeah, TriCast Gaming podcast uh, <laughs> review for this one. Yeah, so I think um, just because of the type of game it is, if you like the type of game it is, I would give it a four tryhards. Excellent deserves your gaming time now. But if you're like worried about it, I would probably go three tryhards and it's good. Check it out between other games because I almost used it like a palate cleanser personally. Like I got into it and was originally just going to like, I was like, I'll try it out. If I don't like it, it's fine. I'll move on to something else. And then I got to that specific spoiler choice and that was where it grabbed me. I was like, okay. okay, I am stuck in this now. So. Very good. All right. Well, there you have it. If you're into walking simulators, probably a four tryhards. If you're not, maybe look at it as a three tryhards. Check it out in between other things. All right. What else have you been up to? So other than that, I've just been grinding the new um, the new update for Sunbreak. So Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. They added like investigations that you can level up and it's basically random quests that you level up to get end game materials to level up your gear basically get random you can get extra random skills on your gear with those new um materials and so that's most of what i've been doing is just grinding more in sunbreak having a ton of fun with it i think i'm at i'm at 300 hours total in the game base and expansion combined and a hundred of that is just in the expansion. So just wow. since June 30th, I've put a hundred hours into this expansion. <clears throat> That's incredible. I, I, there's only, I'd say rocket league and destiny. Those are the only two games I put in that level of time too. Yeah. So, that, that's that's really impressive. That's that's a lot of hours in one of these. Do you primarily play in handheld mode or like on your TV? Um, 
At this point, it almost depends on the monster. So like with Rise and like the beginnings of Sunbreak, I played a lot in handheld mode. I was actually surprised with how much I used the Switch in handheld mode for a long time. But once you get to like the harder monsters of that game, there are some that I almost have to play in docked mode because I have like the pro control. I have one of the pro controllers. Mm-hmm. I almost have to play in docked mode for some of the like end game monsters because they, mm. the, the level of like dexterity that you need to like dodge around their moves is pretty difficult to do in handheld mode at times, especially if you're like pinkies are falling asleep. Yeah, it's a yeah. longer play session. Yeah. I find the switch in handheld mode to be really ergonomically uncomfortable <clears throat> for any, any long period of time. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the, the pro controller is a very good controller. I like it. it it's, it's really yeah. good. Um, yeah. I've got, I've picked up one of the power a ones. I didn't get like a official Nintendo one. I got like mm-hmm. the official licensed power a controller. Gotcha. So. Yeah, I have one of the official the official Nintendo ones, um, but I've I've been eyeing the Power A one as well. That that looks like it could be a quality controller as well. And they're very yeah. similarly shaped. Uh, you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And, and what, other than other than that, I recently re like the past as yesterday. I reinstalled Red Dead Two because my friends have been bugging me. I've I mean I ha- I bought it day one. And I put like 50 hours into the online portion of it and then like burnt myself out on it with the online portion and and never got through the story. Wow. And so my friends have been like making fun of me for it for years since I think it came out in 2018. And finally, like, I mean, there's a pretty long lull in games right now. Mm -hmm. So I was like, now's like the perfect time to die, like dip my toes into my backlog. So. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's nothing coming out right now. So, Backlog yeah. City, here we come. Uh, yeah, yeah, 2018, Red Dead Redemption 2. I played the first two hours of that game, opened up like the open world, and was like, holy shit, there's way too much here for me, and ducked <laughs> out and never played it, uh, which really? is kind of funny because, yeah. you know, you've heard me talk on the show about all the open world games I've played, but yeah, I don't know. It just it was overwhelming to me, and, it, and mm-hmm. uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't focus. So, yeah but so have you have you kicked off the story that's what you said you're doing right now yeah so i had played through the like first part of the story so i got to um before like i burned myself out on it on the online portion i had gotten to valentine and done like maybe a quest or two there okay but that was about where i fell off and so i just jumped back in there and i was originally going to start over like start a new one because I felt like it may have been one of those games where you want to start over because you haven't touched it. In, I mean, I haven't touched it in years. Mm-hmm. But um, I found out that there's actually like a journal that Arthur keeps. And so I was actually like able to read through the journal and like catch back up completely on the story. Hmm. And so at this point, I'm just kind of like relearning controls. And I can deal with that because I'm not far enough into the game for it to be difficult yet. So like me learning the controls still is fine, but I was able to catch back up to the story with that journal, which I really. That's that's a really clever game mechanic. I feel like more games should do stuff like that so that you can, if you end up being away from a game for a little while, you can more easily figure out what, what the hell was going on when you stopped playing. Definitely. Yeah. I, big proponent of it now i think that's the first game i've ever seen that 
had that. And so, but I was glad I didn't have to replay like the first four hours of that game, which are all like very, you're like pointed in a single direction. And that's all you can do for like the first four hours of that game until you get to Valentine. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that was the part I really, I had a good time with that part. And then it opened up to the open (laughs) world and I was like, Oh crap, this is, it was almost like paralyzing with the, the amount of decision I had in front of me. Um, yeah, that's actually why that, that almost kicked me out of the Witcher three when I played the Witcher three. Um, my brother was like on me when I was playing that to stay with it. And I did, and I ended up really enjoying it, but I, that, the Witcher three was, is the only open world game that I've ever had to just tell myself, no, you're not a hundred percenting it. Don't go to these things. Just go to the main quest marker and these handful of side quest markers and don't do anything else because you'll drive yourself insane if you do. Um, and I still put like 50 something hours in Witcher three. Yeah. And shit. That, that's so. exactly what happened to me with Witcher 3 as well. Because I have I own that game as well. And I like got I didn't get super far into it, but I got to the point where it like gives you like five quests in the very beginning. And I was and then the world opened up and I was like, this is so much. It's and, paralyzing sometimes yeah. when it does that. Um that's and I'll go ahead and unless you've got anything else you, uh, you wanted to add, I'll go ahead and, and jump into what I've been playing. That's one of the things I said I really like about Days Gone, um, is how they kind of piece the world out to you slowly, um, and kind of keep you focused on what you're doing while also still giving you that open world experience. And uh, I think that's a, I think that's a really good game design decision with Days Gone, but. I have been playing a lot more of it, uh, a lot, lot more of it. Uh, this past Sunday and Monday, Monday was Labor Day. We had we had Labor Day off, so I played a lot on Monday as well. <clears throat> and then I've been playing a little bit again as well this afternoon. It's I'm getting very close to the end. Uh, I'm down to probably the last 20, 15 to twenty percent of the story. Uh, so very close to the end of the game, and I've been tracking from a trophy perspective all along. Uh, so I probably, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, once I finish the story, I'll only have a handful of trophies, the end game trophies um, that I have to get uh, to, to get the platinum. So I'm, I've pretty well thoroughly been playing this game along the way is, is what I'm trying to get at. I feel like the story has actually gotten a little bit better as I've gone on in the game. I think that done a really good job of creating characters along the way that you're either engaged in or actively dislike but you kind of have to engage in them and that's by nature of the different camps that you come to that you do jobs for some of them you're sort of indifferent to some of them you actively dislike some of you them you enjoy and it does a good job of kind through the story allowing you to feel like you're progressing through days and months and the life of the character Deacon St. John. I don't know how else to explain it other than that. It feels like you are engaging in relationships with people. You're learning about people. You're becoming either you know actively engaged with them or actively disengaged with them, depending on how, whether you like or dislike the character and then you move on to new things and the world develops and characters change and you drive towards new goals 
And then you're left with this. It almost builds this nostalgia within you in the different areas that you go through while you're still playing the game. It's really weird feeling. I don't know how else to explain it other than that. And I think it's actually really well done. I just wish the individual, like actual writing, like the dialogue writing of the game was better. I think that portion of it is really weak uh, within the game and and it drives me crazy. But like I said, I, I feel like I have been enjoying the story a lot more as I've gone along and, and I'm getting pretty close to the end. Uh, I've also kind of figured out something about the game from a design perspective. Cause I was, I was kind of talking about last week how, you know, there's, there's too little side quests and too much main quests and it kind of gets the, the balance wrong. But what I found as I was thinking more about it, as I was playing it this past weekend is that really what it is, is the map is about, 20 to 25% too small. If it was just that little bit bigger and it spread out its side quest stuff just a little bit more, the problem is it's like you'll get a main quest. And if you're like me, what I typically do with these games is I get a main quest and I'm like, all right, I'm going to hit all the side stuff along the way to that main quest. I won't just go around the whole map. I'll just, I'll go to this main quest and I'll hit all the side stuff and then that that's how I'll sneak my way through the map. The problem is, is the map is so small that basically all of the side stuff is on the way to like your first main quest when you get into an area. So that's, I think that if they made the map just a little bit bigger and they kind of spread things out just a little bit more, um, I think that it would help alleviate that problem of imbalance of content. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, before I move on off days gone, is there anything you want to engage with that um, that I've said? Um. I know in the past you had mentioned like you weren't the biggest fan of like Deacon as a character. Has that changed any as you've been going further in? Cause I know, like you said, like his mumbling and stuff kind of annoyed you. Has any of that changed? Like, has he progressed as a character throughout the story at all? Yeah, I, I actually, I remember saying that and I actually really think that as the game goes on, uh, there is a lot of layers to Deacon. He's a pretty interesting character and he's one of those, I wouldn't say anti-hero characters, but he's definitely one of those people that really kind of balances this gray area uh, of morality in that there are there are good things that he does and there is empathy from him, but then at other times he just doesn't give a shit. And, he, and, and it's with people even that you feel like he should care about. And so it is definitely really interesting to see this dichotomy of a character. And I think they do a pretty good job of, of I don't know, writing that portion of it. I, I, I'm trying to differentiate between dialogue writing and story writing, if you understand what I'm trying to say, story yeah. plot writing. And so I think they do a good job of developing this character. And I definitely have come around to him for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Um, so besides that, and like I said, I'm not. I, I don't ever. I don't ever rate things until I'm done. Um, but like I said, I'm getting pretty close. So maybe next week's show or the week after that, I think I'll have a rating for this game. I'm getting pretty mm-hmm. close to the end of it. So beyond that, uh, last Friday night after the show, Jason and I went on and played Rocket League. Got back to Champ as well. Myself, I'd fallen out. I was like Div three, you know, Diamond three, Div three, uh, right close to Champ. Got back to champ, got my champ season rewards. You have to get 10 wins at champ. I finished that out. So 
season seven champ again. Uh, that's I think three seasons in a row I've champed wow. for two v two. So pretty happy with that. Uh, and then of course the new season started this week. This week, so um, got to go for the grind again. Got to do it again. We were very good that we at one point we were like eleven and two last Friday night. I mean we were Jeez. just crushing it. Um, and then we finished. I think we finished like three and six or something for the night, which mm-hmm. kind of makes it a little bit difficult. <laughs> but like we started out like really hot. Um, so that was pretty fun. Um, <clears throat> and then last Saturday, I played a lot of Destiny, just trying to keep up with the weekly stuff for Destiny. So still enjoying that. I'm not, I not. It does not have its hooks in me nearly as much as it did in, in earlier in the year. Um but it's still an enjoyable season. I, I am I am enjoying the sort of pirate theme of Destiny 2's mm-hmm. uh, season of the plunder. It's pretty fun. Yeah, um, I've I've heard from I, I listened to some people who play like MMOs, and they almost call it like maintenance mode. Once you get to a certain point, like yes, it's almost like you're in this like maintenance mode. Like you're just logging in, just getting your weeklies or dailies done, and then you're hopping back out until something big and new comes back out. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. But what they do do really well is give you story in a seasonal content way, which that is at least really enjoyable or gives you a strong reason to want to keep coming back to see how that story unfolds uh, and again, how you engage with different characters and what your guardian does. So that, I think that someone like Halo, which I'm about to talk about in a second, or other games like that could really learn from how they piece out story across a seasonal content type aspect. Yeah. <clears throat> but speaking of Halo, that is another game I decided to go back to. I said on the podcast last week that I was, despite all of the bad news, I was kind of intrigued to go see where the state of the game was. And so I've hopped in the last two nights playing some Halo Infinite. Uh, their event right now is the yapping, which I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean, but that's what it's called. And effectively what it is, is you're playing Fiesta Slayer on big team battle maps. For those of you that are not Halo players, Fiesta Slayer is every time you spawn, you have a new weapon loadout. So it gets insane because people will end up getting rockets or swords or shotguns and then there will be multiples of them all across the map and you never really know what somebody's got that you're about to engage in. So it gets pretty wild and pretty hectic. And then, of course, Big Team Battle is where you've got, uh, I think it's 16 players on 16 with Halo Infinite. So it's mm-hmm. a 32 players, 16 on 16 versus like typically, I think it's 4v4 or 5v5 in typical Team Slayer. on on halo infinite right now yeah so fiesta is one of those modes where you either are loving life or you're hating it yes and it's it changes every game like one game if your team is like really lucky then you just love it and you just destroy the other team because you get like 15 rocket launchers yeah exactly and then there are those games where you get like three pistols in a row and you Mm -hmm. run into someone with rocket launchers every time you hit someone yeah yeah it's it's actually quite fun i i i enjoy fiesta for its craziness and it it's a lot easier to get into a mo a mood of just oh it's just hectic crazy fun and it doesn't matter how much i kill or don't kill uh, because it's just hectic fun. Whereas like if you're playing tactical slayer, it's like everybody's got battle rifles and it's all headshots. And if you're not getting your headshots, it sucks. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure to it. So 
Um, I do like it. And so, so yeah, the yapping, mixing the Fiesta with the big team battle ma- uh, maps has been a lot of fun. I've actually really enjoyed it. Um, been playing that. The game is still, its core loop, its core gameplay loop is so good. But the challenges suck ass. The armor sucks ass. And the live content side of it sucks ass. And it's just so disappointing to see. So disappointing. I will say over and over that if Halo Infinite, like, if they had just left off the live service portion of it or just done better with that. I mean, the core gameplay is just almost perfect. It's like one of the best, if not the best feeling gameplay wise, Halo I feel has ever been, but then, but then like the live service and like the fact that there's no content has just kind of killed it. There's nothing to, work towards anymore there's nothing drawing me to the game even though i love the gameplay yeah yeah and that's that's so like to touch on what you just said about from a from a halo perspective i still think moment to moment destiny is a is better feeling but from halo's perspective if you compare halo to halo to halo i think halo infinite is about as good as it's ever been it's right up there with like Halo 3 and Halo 2 for sure. Uh, so I agree with you there. Um, and yeah, the, the live content stuff, man, that's that's what keeps you there. I mean, it's it's monthly player count on Steam is like three and a half thousand players compared yeah, to like 120,000 in launch month. Yeah, it's dropped off crazy. And now they've even pushed they've even pushed season three back to March now. Mm-hmm. And so that's. I mean, it's that turns it into what, like a eight or nine month season month, for season ten two. Month season. Ten months. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's yep. insane. And not, I mean, that's that's almost something that you wonder if they'll ever come back from. Like, I know Destiny Two kind of like had a content drought in the beginning, but I don't know if it was near as bad as this drought is for Halo. I I don't think so. And yeah, I I have the same fear that it may never recover. Um, at least it'll never recover to truly be competitive with the top tier live service games. Yeah. It might get to a better state for itself. If they could get up to 10 to 15 to 20,000 monthly concurrent average players, then that would be pretty good recovery for them. I think, mm-hmm. but uh, all right. So moving on, cause I've been playing so much. I've already talked about four different games. I'm still playing Pokemon shield. I am moving on to the fourth gym. Uh, I don't have much uh, different thoughts about this game. Uh, There are some quality of life things that I like about Pokemon games. Y'all have to remember, I played Pokemon Red and Blue in 1998. I haven't played a damn Pokemon game since then, okay? (laughs) So the revelation that every Pokemon in in my squad gets experience points for everything I do instead of just the Pokemon that's out fighting was wondrous. That is a tremendous quality of life improvement um, that I really, really appreciate about new Pokemon games. Um, I also like that you often, they have wanderers, I guess, or whatever they call them, and then randoms. Um, But most of the Pokemon, you can actually see walking. So you can kind of know, I want to engage with that one or I don't because Mm -hmm. I've caught that one already or I haven't. And I like yeah. that aspect too. Another really good quality of life improvement, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, those, I mean, definitely some quality of life stuff in the Pokemon games that I've enjoyed, uh, mm-hmm. and, or in this Pokemon game that I've enjoyed. The, you know, there's not much story there. There's no, there, there the never is. It's <laughs> not much. Uh, yeah. some of the dialogue is super cringe. Um, I've, I've heard that like sword and shield is like, even more so than like some of the other, like some of the slightly older ones. So like I jumped in at fourth gen was my first one. So I played diamond first. Okay. It was my first. Um, but I, I've heard that sword and shield is both easy and that it is a little bit more cringe, like dialogue wise than some of the older ones were interesting yeah and certainly some of the pokemon too like the pokemon models are just getting ridiculous i'm so tired of the new ones like some of the ones they've come out with i don't know if you've been keeping up with like the scarlet and violet that's supposed to come out this like a little bit my kids are interested in it yeah like the most recent pokemon they've announced is just a it's a um lemur that does graffiti because it's like based on like London is like the area of this one. No, it's Spain. Spain is like supposed to be the area of this one. There's like the newest one they've announced is like the lemur and it's like it graffitis things. That's its thing. And I'm like, what, why we've come so like, I understand that they need to add new Pokemon each game, yeah, but I feel like at this point, just like add like maybe 20, 25, 30 new Pokemon, something where you still have ideas in the future. Because this adding 100 new Pokemon every new generation, you're just out (laughs) of ideas. It's so true. (laughs) It's so true. And it's just, oh man. Oh, they've also done this thing where it's like, this is the Pokemon from this region and it looks different. And like the first time it was like a Meowth popped up, I was like, dear God in heaven, what is this monstrosity (laughs) that has appeared in front of me? It looks so much worse as a character model than the original Meowth from Red and Blue. But I don't know. My kids love, my girls love the fact that I'm playing it with them it is engaging enough that I found myself actually actively wanting to play it. Usually mm-hmm. what I do is I play it in like 30 to 45 minute bursts and uh, it's been good. It's got me back on my switch. It's given me something to mess around with in bed at night after I've kind of played rocket league for an hour or something a lot mm-hmm. less stressful than rocket oh, league. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to try to see this one to, to the end and they're all excited already about scarlet and violet so maybe i'll end up playing that one too but yeah yeah pokemon and i think i think even scarlet and violet i think you can run around in the open world together is like the big draw for it so like you can be like in the actual open world together with like four people i think which is crazy for a pokemon game i don't even yeah i can't even wrap like it sounds like not that big a deal but then you realize that it's game freak that added that and I mean, Game Freak hasn't added like anything large to Pokemon in years. Yeah, for sure. It'd be interesting. And uh, obviously my kids are even more excited about that because they're like, oh, we'll get to actually play with you, dad. They're yeah. really excited for that. So, all right. Well, I, I was playing something else this past week um, and I, t- 
<laughs> We've spent so much time because it's my fault. I played so much. I know it's crazy. I also tried out Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, and I don't really want to put too much on this one, other than I I used the two hour game demo from PlayStation Premium to try this game out, and I have I did it because it's on sale right now. It's on. It's like thirty three percent off, and I I've not decided whether or not I actually want to buy the game after my two hours with it. So maybe that's a sign of maybe I shouldn't get it. But it yeah. is. I trying to decide how what I want to focus on, but the the gunplay, like when you're sitting there playing Destiny and Halo Infinite, and then you go and you try to play this game, I really don't think that the first person shooting is all that particularly great. Mm-hmm. It does not give you a clear enough visual indicator that you've killed the enemy that you're shooting, which I do not like. Um, and I I only thought of this later because I. I kind of said it and forgot about it, but I need to, if I buy it, I need to check and see if they have a field of view slider because I'm so used to playing destiny and halo with 120 degree field of view slider open. And this was a very narrow view. And I think if they have that, that will help a lot too. But because of that narrow view, the, the non indication of when you've killed something, I was struggling with it from a shooting perspective when, you compare it to the fact that I'm literally playing Destiny and Halo at the same time. Yeah. I mean, you're playing, comparing it to, especially Destiny. I mean, I, I don't think that there's anyone that does gunplay better than Bungie. Just mm-hmm. it yeah, at all. I don't think there's anyone that competes. I think For Halo sure. Infinite kind of comes close. Call of Duty kind of comes close, but they have their own different things that they add to it. But I think in general, Bungie is just on another level. They really are. For sure. So I'll let y'all know next week if I end up deciding to get this, but Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, I've tried it out a little bit as well. All right. Let's get into the topics of the show now that we're like an hour in. I didn't mean to do that. I should have known better than to put all of the games I'm playing. All right. (laughs) The topic of the show, this week's topic of the show is today's Disney and Marvel Games Showcase from the D23 Expo. Disney may have backed out of directly developing and publishing video games back in the 2010s, but it has not stopped licensing out its famous franchises to game developers. From Marvel Spider-Man to Star Wars Battlefront to Guardians of the Galaxy to Jedi Fallen Order to Marvel's Avengers and Marvel's Ultimate Alliance 3, we have had no shortage of Disney property titles over the past 10 years. Meanwhile, Frontiers of Pandora, Spider-Man 2, Wolverine, and an Indiana Jones game have all been announced over the past year. Now, Disney and Pixar games, Lucasfilm games, Marvel games, and 20th Century games have shown us what's next at one of the the first major presentations of this year's D23, the Disney and Marvel Games Showcase. Let's take a look at everything shown. Um, Kyle, before I start kind of going game by game, I just want, like, you watched the show. What was your hot take right out of watching that first 20 minutes of of what you got there. So definitely hot take is that I wish they had had a show that didn't have all of the mobile games. I feel (laughs) like I would have preferred like a separate show for the mobile games because it was just in my face. It felt like like almost every other game, if not more than that, was mobile games. It did feel like that, but kind of going back and looking at it, I I think it was about 50-50. So you had Marvel Strike Force, I think was a mobile game. Mm-hmm. Marvel Snap was a mobile game. 
uh, do 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 do. Disney uh, the, Mirrorverse was that a multi a mul, uh, a yeah Mirrorverse is mobile. Um, and then the Avatar Reckoning was definitely mobile. Yeah, and then World of Heroes, the Marvel World of Heroes is mobile because that's like the Pokemon Go of Marvel. Yes. I guess <laughs> when I saw that trailer pop up, yes. and at the bottom it says this is not actual gameplay. I about died laughing. I was like, of course it's not actual game. <laughs> Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, there's like a dude shooting laser beams out of his eyes. You know, obviously it's not uh, actual gameplay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. That was also um, a mobile game. But I think I think that's about 50% of what was shown. But it did feel like yeah. a lot. It did feel like a lot. So any any games stand out for you? Or was there anything in here that, that kind of was like, wait a minute, I, I like the look of that. So I think the one that stands out to me most is probably the Avatar Frontiers of Pandora because I was a huge fan of that movie when it came out however long ago that was. Like, was it a decade at this point? It was a few years for sure. But I'm really excited for that. I'm curious how they're going to treat it. The only thing that scares me is that it's Ubisoft, but... It it looks good from the little bit that they've shown us. Of course, I don't think we've seen gameplay, have we? Uh, we, yeah, not not really. Yeah. Um, it's like the in engine or whatever, quote yeah, unquote, but not. Yeah, and it, you know, it was supposed to be out this year, but they delayed it into next year. Um, so yeah, I agree. We haven't really seen game seen gameplay. We've seen a few looks at this game but not really any true gameplay of it. Uh, it is coming from um, Massive Entertainment, which is the studio behind the Division titles. So oh, okay. I, I would expect a pretty good game. I think the yeah. Division are pretty quality games, uh, Division 1 and Division 2. So expect an open-world game with main quests and side quests and some skill trees and gear loot and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I would expect all of that in this kind of game Uh, with your green gear and your blue gear and your purple gear. You know, I would bet Uh, that'll all be here. Um, No, that's, that is what I don't want from this. That's like (laughs) the exact thing that I don't want from this. I want like a, I want like an RPG like style. I don't want the looter. Mm mechanics in this but I we'll see i don't know i mean they call it an open world action adventure so mm-hmm. maybe they'll drift away from some of the looter type gear stuff and kind of yeah. stick with just skill trees and things like that maybe they will mm-hmm. i don't know but we haven't really seen so it's hard to say uh yeah but yeah i always say on the show that i'm a closet super avatar fan because i feel like it gets a lot of hate and every time I say that, Mike is like, I don't think, that, I, I think that's fine. You can be, you know, I like Avatar too. So I don't know, maybe, I, maybe I'm in my own head on this, but I feel like the Avatar movie gets a lot of hate. Uh, but I, I certainly I've, loved it. I personally, at this point, feel like anyone that's giving it hate is doing it just for like the attention is how I feel. Because yeah. there's no way if you're like, if you enjoy sci-fi or anything that you went into that movie and didn't come out satisfied. Yeah. It, it I mean, like gives you of, 
everything you want from like a sci-fi movie. Yeah, I, I, I kind of I kind of agree. Like there's cool action scenes, there's uh neat tech and and uh ships and things like that in it. Uh, I love the idea of basically matrixing matrixing into this body that you then control and run around in the world with. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I think a lot of the 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 fun that got poked at it was like the the Fern Gully story basically. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe Fern Gully is too is too old for you, but uh, if you ever if you ever have a chance, you know, look up Fern Gully. It's um, I'm pretty sure it was a Disney movie. Um, was it Disney Fern Gully? No, it was 20th Century Fox, uh, but it came out in 1992, uh, the Last Rainforest. So okay. they definitely like. I'm pretty confident that this movie was very the, the avatar movie the story was very influenced by fern gully movie okay and i think that's where it gets a lot of its stick early on uh when it first came out but mm. you know because of its whole like save the forest uh you know tree hugger yeah. planet loving which uh, you know when i was a kid i thought it was kind of dumb but as a as an as an adult i actually kind of empathize a lot with this story oh yeah so definitely. you know i think it's definitely grown more in my eyes as i've gotten older but yeah anyway i'll stop racks la- la- i can't even speak now i'll stop eulogizing about avatar and agree with you that <laughs> i did I am, I am very excited for that game yeah for sure i'm excited for that one and then the other one that caught me off guard was um midnight suns so i was not expecting to be interested in midnight suns until I saw the gameplay and saw that it was not the like tile system, or at least it doesn't seem like it's a tile system for like the um, turn-based part of it. It seemed more free-flowing, almost like uh, Gears Tactics. Mm, And I feel like I would have stuck to Gears Tactics a lot more if I cared about the characters, but I haven't played a Gears game before right. gears tactics so i think i think it'll stick more with midnight suns yeah no i i understand what you're saying like because it's one of these it's, it's from firaxis the developer they do a lot of these types of games but as opposed to something like um xcom where you you have like like you said you have these literal tiles and it's like you can move three over and four forward or whatever with this character and mm-hmm. then you select a move or whatever the Gears Tactics is still a similar style game, but you have a little bit more free control of your character. It's not yeah. so restricted to tiles. I mean, it's still, you know, they give you like a, I think it's like a circle and you can move mm-hmm. up to however far in uh, within your circle of your character. <clears throat> so it still controls your movement a little bit and still goes turn-based com- combat and stuff like that, but it's at least a little less restricted and blocky than something like XCOM. Yeah, definitely. Did anything catch your eye from this one? Yeah, so I actually had two that really stood out for me and and I'll I'll do I'll go with the the probably the odd one first and that was uh the Illusion Island. So <clears throat> this game is developed by Delala Studios or Delilah Studios. I don't know how you say it, but they're the ones that did the 2020 reboot of Battletoads. 
Uh, and that was a really good oh, little okay. uh, beat em up game. They did a really good job with the art style. I thought they did the level design and the voice acting of that game really well. And what stood out for me with this Disney Illusions um, game is again, or Illusion Island is what it's called, is again just the art style and the the voicing, the voicing of the different characters and the dialogue mm-hmm. uh, really stood out to me. I thought it looks really, it really pops for me. It looks really clever. I don't know how hard it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, Battletoads was a hard game. Yeah. Um, and certainly this is going to appeal more to younger children. So I hope that it's not too hard uh, yeah. because otherwise they'll have a hard time playing through it. Um, but I also noticed at the end of the trailer that it is four-player local co-op. So I have a feeling that me and my kids will definitely be checking this one out. Yeah. Um, it looked it looked really good, like the gameplay, the little bit of gameplay they showed. It almost looked like the movement of like Ori, mm-hmm. like the quick dodging and dodging around. Yep. It seemed it seems interesting. I don't know if I'll pick it up at least day one for full price, but it definitely looks like it would be fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that was the first one. And then the second one that I think actually got an oh shit from me was the reveal of Skydance New Media's game, uh, which they're calling... Did they even give it a name? They didn't actually give it a name, but it's it's the one where they show the four characters at the end, the like soldier and black Panther and captain America. And oh. I'm not sure what the, the other character, probably another character from Wakanda. Yeah. <clears throat> and the tagline was like four heroes, two worlds, one war. And it's based in a world war two setting, but it's like captain America from back then mixing with, with black Panther and, and mm-hmm. Wakanda characters. So this game is coming from Amy Hennig. Uh, that's her new studio, Skydance New Media. And she's the one that wrote all of the Uncharted games uh, and did the Uncharted games with uh, Naughty Dog for PlayStation. So I suspect that what we're going to get here is more of a linear first-person story-driven game. Uh, mm-hmm. And the setting, the world looked stunning. I was like, holy shit, I love this idea. I love the idea of playing with Marvel superhero characters in that World War II setting. No one's ever mm-hmm. really done it. We've seen it in some of the movie stuff and some of the TV show stuff, but no one's ever done it in a game. And I love this idea. I think it's, I, I'm hooked already. I mean, we didn't see gameplay, but mm-hmm. the setting and the idea has me really, really intrigued. Yeah, so I don't, re- I don't really, I don't know how this one slipped my mind when I was thinking of ones that interested me, because I do remember this one now, and it definitely caught my eye. The big thing that caught my eye was them moving from the Hydra straight to Captain America, mm-hmm. and Captain America's shield had the like claw marks, almost yes. like black, like he was fighting Black Panther. Black Panther, yeah. And so it made me wonder if they were going like the new like Hydra Captain America route. Cause that was a, wasn't that a comic book series? Like where if Captain America like joined Hydra or like was mm. created by Hydra. Like so I'm a wondering if they're, scenario. Yeah. I'm wondering if they're going down that rabbit hole with it. 
Yeah, that'd be really that'd be really interesting. I yeah, the, they've got the, the the sort of Nazi cap with the Hydra uh, symbol on it, and then it fades right up to Captain America's shield, and you got the claw marks on it. And I was thinking it's Wolverine, but then they immediately go to a screen of Black Panther, and he looks like he's facing off with Captain America mm-hmm. um, for sure. And then it says uh, King, Captain, Soldier, Spy. And uh, huh. I don't know if that's supposed to sort of uh, reference the four different characters or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we don't know much about it, but that one really stood out to me. And uh, I really liked that one. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Lo- I'm interested to see where they go with that one for sure. Me too. Um, all right. Uh, before we go on to the news speed run, I want to call out two other games. The first one, this one is for you, Steven. I know you listen to the show all the time. We saw Return of the Monkey Island again on this this reel. Uh, it's coming out September 19th, so that's 10 days from now. Shout out to you, Steven. I know you love this game. I know you're really interested in it. Uh, so hopefully you go and check it out. And um, I hope it's good. I hope it's everything you want it to be. And then finally, the other one I wanted to, to give a call out to was Disney Speedstorm. So I know they've tried to do a kart racer before and they've never really succeeded. I really hope that they do a good job with it. I hope that they're just like, you know what? Mario Kart is really good. Let's just shamelessly rip the game and just put Disney characters on top of it and we can all have fun with that. Like, just please mm-hmm. do that. That would be fine. Um, yeah. But we'll see. We'll see My, what happens. The biggest issue I've felt when I've tried to play like the Mario Kart clones or whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. is the ones that like give certain powers to certain characters and the way they showed this one is i'm scared they're gonna do that because Mm. if you when you give like a certain like each character only has their power i feel like it you instantly get characters that are just way better than the others just based on how their power works alone yeah and so that's my only fear with that one of course, if it's random, like like if they rip completely and just take Mario Kart and it's random, like power ups, then I think yes. it'll do better, at least in my eyes. Yeah, I agree with you completely. All right, and, uh, let us get into the new speed run because uh, we got a few interesting stories to talk about. So here we go. Number one, in the now long running daytime soap opera General Console, that's a reference to General Hospital. <laughs> Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan has called Microsoft's proposal for keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation consoles, quote, inadequate on many levels. This comes in response to Xbox boss Bill Spencer saying Microsoft had committed to making the series available on PlayStation for several more years after Sony's current marketing deal with Activision. Jim Ryan said, quote, I hadn't intended to comment on what I understood to be a private business discussion, but I feel the need to set the record straight because Phil Spencer brought this up in the public forum. Microsoft has only offered for Call of Duty to remain on PlayStation for three years after the current agreement between Activision. Uh, I'm reading what he said, <laughs> so this is confusing me a little bit, but this is his direct quote. Um, Call of Duty to remain on PlayStation for three years after the current agreement between Activision and Sony ends. There's, it doesn't sound quite right, but that's what he said. After almost 20 years of Call of Duty on PlayStation, their proposal was inadequate on many levels and failed to take account of the impact on our gamers. 
We want to guarantee PlayStation gamers continue to have the highest quality Call of Duty experience, and Microsoft's proposal undermines this principle, end quote. Kyle, what do you think of this from Jim Ryan? So the first thing I think of is, I mean, he's saying three years after the current agreement. Doesn't Sony own the marketing rights like for another three years after this year? It is disputed because no one knows for sure, but okay. most people seem to be settling on it's it's through twenty twenty four. So I guess it's oh, wow. three years if you can if you include this year. But yeah. basically this Call of Duty, the Warzone two, and then the next Call of Duty, because everyone keeps saying that they're gonna take a year off mm-hmm. in Call of Duty. Yeah. So it's basically three more games, I think. See, when I think about that, I mean, that means it's going to be on, that means Phil Spencer is saying it's going to be on PlayStation consoles until around 2027. Mm -hmm. At that point, aren't we going to be moving on to the next console generation? I feel like that gives Sony more than enough time to come up with their own FPS to rival Xbox's Halo and Call of Duty and Mm-hmm. That that's what I don't understand with this is they they always keep talking about how they have these success begets success. So put mm-hmm. some of that success into making an FPS and stop trying to stop this deal because in the end it's not a monopoly in my eyes, especially when they're keeping it on there for basically the rest of this console generation. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's not a monopoly because there's plenty of other first-person shooters out there um, to go and play. And and this is not, this isn't like Phil saying, okay, it'll be on your console for five years and then it's exclusive. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, I guarantee you that that you will have the, the same sort of access and experience day and day, no questions that you have right now for the next five years. Yeah. Who knows? They might negotiate something in three years that extends that far beyond that. He's just yeah. saying, all I'm going to guarantee you right now is that things won't change for at least the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's also important to remember about this. But I'm with you. That Sony hasn't done a first-person shooter. The last first-person shooter that came out of first party was Killzone Shadowfall, which released in February or March of 2014. So that's eight and a half years ago since they did a first person shooter and they have wow. IP like Killzone, like resistance, like SOCOM, they have first person IPs already in house. They, they don't even need to come up with something new and they just don't seem interested in, in attack and tackling it. And honestly, like I think it's a bit, I don't know. I think it's a bit weak from Sony to kind of hang on to call of duty so hard. Yeah. Uh, especially when you just purchased Bungie and you know that you've got Destiny 2 on your console mm-hmm. and you know that you've got whatever the next thing that Bungie's working and you know you've still got Fortnite and Apex Legends and all these other things out there that yeah. are so popular yeah. uh, that I just think it's I think it's a bit weak from Sony to, to kind of hang on to that. Mm-hmm. My other speculation with this is, I mean with Xbox buying up all of these studios with Game Pass, I almost wonder if by 2027, whenever this like deal ends, 
I don't I almost don't think Xbox is going to have another console generation. I think right. they're going to be transitioning to more of the publisher stance. And so at that point, they may be putting I mean, that might be the time when they're trying to leverage putting Game Pass on PlayStation. Right. And that I could see it. I could see yeah. it and I could see them trying to use Call of Duty and some of these games to try to gain that leverage like listen we won't make it exclusive to xbox we'll just make it exclusive to game pass and we're happy to put game pass on your console so you know if as long as you're good with it you could have all of our stuff on your console um of course i don't think sony will want that i don't mm-hmm. think they'll ever want game pass on their console but i can very much see microsoft trying to leave that door open for them and that's the thing that i think people have to remember is that at the end of the day, this is all business. Yep. And if Phil Spencer's like, I'm going to promise you for the next 10 years, think about how limiting that is to Microsoft from a business strategy perspective and what they can do if they make some kind of contractual guarantee like that. They yep. have to keep it shorter so that they can allow themselves to um, develop business strategies, to come up with new plans, to, to negotiate new things. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, you know, it's like uh, your favorite baseball player signing a contract for the Yankees. If it's a 10-year contract, then he's there for the rest of his career, right? Like, that's it. Yeah. He's done. Um, and so it's sort of the same thing. Like, he's keeping, you know, Phil Spencer is keeping the door open. And Jim Ryan doesn't like that. And where do I fall on that? I don't give a shit. I'm not Jim yeah. Ryan. I'm not a Sony shareholder. I'm not Phil Spencer. I'm not a Microsoft shareholder. I don't care. Yeah. It, it doesn't really bother me which way they go on this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for me, the thing that really stood out on this and that I really did not like about this quote was the whole, their proposal was inadequate on many levels and failed to take account of the impact on our gamers. Let me ask you, Jim Ryan, how often have you considered the impact on Xbox gamers with all of your fucking third-party exclusivity deals that you've signed over the... Re- how many Square Enix games are not on xbox because of you how many spider-man games are on xbox right now because of your exclusivity deals you know i think this is such a bullshit thing for him to say and really sort of exemplifies the whole idea of like i need to play these cards in a way that doesn't show you that these are the exact cards i'm also holding in my own hand exactly and, you know, it's the definition of talking out of two sides of your mouth. And I really don't like it because it's so transparent. Everybody with a quarter percent of intelligence can see right through what you're saying, Jim Ryan. And it's yeah. not a good look for PlayStation. I don't think. No. I mean, they've even done it with Call of Duty specifically. Haven't there been DLCs that were like year locked on Sony or like I think timed, not maybe maybe not a year, but like there were timed exclusive DLCs for Call of Duty this past yeah, generation I, on PlayStation. I think it was typically like a month or two months, but they had the like two year exclusivity of Destiny content during oh, the I forgot about that during the Taken King. I think it was yeah, or after right. Destiny Two launch, yeah. That was so bad that Bungie said that they would never do it. And when PlayStation went to buy them, they were like, we will never do anything like that again. We will not segment. So, like, we'll agree to let you buy us, but we're not segmenting our community content Mm -hmm. from our community like that. 
that's how bad that was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. They, it it annoys me. It really does. I mean, and they they have Final Fa- they have they have Final Fantasy 14 is console exclusive. Final Fantasy 16 will be console exclusive. Uh, is Final Fan- is it Final Fantasy 14 or Final Fantasy 7 remake? Both. I thought Final Fantasy 14 so, was the MMO that was everywhere. Well, it's it, it is the MMO, but it's only PC and PlayStation. It's not on Xbox. And then yeah, the Final Fantasy 7 remake is also still not still hasn't come to Xbox. Huh. You're absolutely correct. I did not realize that. Final Fantasy 14, A Realm Reborn, PlayStation 3, 4, 5, and Windows. You've educated me live on the show. <laughs> Love it. So yeah, that's, it, you're right. It makes it even worse in my mind. Yeah. Um, and the Final Fantasy VII remake thing is extra bullshit because it, it was like portrayed as if it was a timed exclusive. And then basically they just stopped saying anything and they've never really said that mm-hmm. it's fully PlayStation. But then, of course, they've never actually released it on Xbox. So yeah. I, I almost wonder, at least with that one, if Sony is like continuing to like re-sign that contract is almost what it feels like. Yeah. I don't weird. know. That or they somehow got like, what is it? Is it two years now that it hasn't come to Xbox? I don't I mean, remember. It's been more than two years now, I think. Um, I'd have to look it up, but it feels like it's been more than two years at this point. Um, let's see if I can find the Final Fantasy VII remake. It came out really? in 2020. April yeah, what, of 2020. Yeah, so it's been more than two years. Yeah. It's been like two and a half years since it came That's out. That's crazy. What are you talking about, Jim Ryan? I mean, I'm just <laughs> glad... The only thing that I'm glad is that I don't have Jason here to do his it's it's whiny voice. That, that yeah. whiny... <laughs> Because if it was whiny before, it's definitely whiny now. Uh, yeah, it's not fair. That's what definitely. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Number two, Tencent Holdings Ltd is raising its stake in Ubisoft Entertainment in a deal that values France's biggest games developer at about ten billion dollars. As deep-pocketed Chinese tech majors uh, continue their overseas search for growth. Interest in Ubisoft comes after the world's largest game firm by revenue purchased a 16.25% stake in Japan's Elden Ring developer from software just last week. The latest deal makes Tencent Ubisoft's single biggest shareholder with an overall stake of 11%. Uh, And this is where it starts to get confusing, so bear with me and I'll try to explain at the end. Uh, This can be further increased to as much as 17%. Uh, and it also values the developer at $10 billion, with the purchase price of those shares being around 80 euros per share, well above the Tuesday stock price closing level of 43.5 euros. The transaction also makes Tencent part of a shareholder pact with Ubisoft's founding Gimol family. The pact involves Tencent's acquisition of 49.9% of the Gimol Brothers Limited, the holding company that owns the bulk of the family's 15% stake in Ubisoft. This also gives 5% voting rights to Tencent, uh, Ubisoft stated in a, in a statement from Tuesday evening. So this is where it gets really confusing. Tencent also has the right to raise its direct stake in Ubisoft to 9.99%, from 4.5% currently, according to the statement. 
but will not be able to sell its shares for five years or increase its direct state in the French games maker beyond 9.99% in capital for a period of eight years. So how did we get to 99% when we said 11% just a minute ago? So here's the math. They currently have 4.5% direct shares of Ubisoft. Then they bought pretty much 50% of Gimel Brothers Limited, which that company owns 15% of direct shares of Ubisoft. So if you take 15, divide it in half, you get 75 4.5 plus 7.5 is 12%. Um, so I think that's where like the, you know, whatever the exact percentage that they get from mm-hmm. that deal is how you end up in the 11% realm. Um, and so what this is saying is that Tencent now has also got the option to go and buy five and a half percent more direct shares in ubisoft all of that's still getting confusing i'm telling you it makes sense yeah. trust me <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to figure this out sometimes you just need to see numbers in front of you but effectively tencent own four and a half percent of ubisoft and they own 50 percent of a company that owns 15 percent of ubisoft mm, um okay. and so that's how you get their shares percentage and and, then, I, and i'm sure these like 4.5 percent and 15 percent i'm sure those are rounded to a certain extent which is why yes. we're running into the 11 percent when it yes. really by the rounding it should be around 12 yes for sure for sure um and so yeah that's that's where we end up in this situation where Tencent can also now buy more direct shares of Ubisoft, so they could end up having an even greater control of the company um, in the near future. Uh, In response to this, Ubisoft share price plunged more than 17% this week as prospects of a full takeover were dampened following this move. At just 36.5 euro per share, Ubisoft has fallen precipitously over the last four years after it hit an all-time high in July 2018, of 102 euro per share. Wow. Ubisoft are in trouble, man. And they need bailing out. And this is what I'm saying. This is what I said last week. CMA, you know, all all these organizations, PlayStation, fuck around and find out if you block this Activision deal because they need a buyer just like Ubisoft do. And when all the other big boys are too busy tied up in other things... Ubisoft has no choice but to turn to Tencent, and I do not want Tencent involved in Western gaming to a strong level like it seems that they're about to get to. Uh, it's not good. It's not good. I don't like it. No. I Yeah. It's. I, I don't understand how the CMA... and I mean, does the CMA not have control over Tencent at all? Is that what the issue is? Or are they just not paying attention to it and just so, specifically choosing to pay attention to Microsoft. Yeah. So obviously Tencent hasn't come in and bought Ubisoft. So there's no merger or uh, acquisition that has to go through regulatory bodies. This okay. is just Tencent buying shares. Just yeah. like you and I could potentially do on the market, right? If we had, mm-hmm. you know, $300 million or whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so that's why it's not getting reviewed by the CMA or I'm trying to remember the F the federal trade is FTA, I think is what it's called here in the mm-hmm. United States. Um, so that's why this isn't getting reviewed. 
Um, I think the reason why the Activision Microsoft um, deal is getting so much attention is that PlayStation themselves are fighting it and engaging yeah. with these regulatory bodies to fight that acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, like they better be careful because they're trying to buy stuff too. And if they keep that up, then Microsoft might start being a hard ass about things. Yeah. You know, Microsoft didn't say anything about the bungee deal. The bungee deal went through real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they, they better be careful there too. But yeah, I think that's why I, hopefully that answers your question of why yeah. the CMA and the FDA are not involved uh, with this, this deal. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Uh, I don't have anything else on this other than just to say, watch out. Tencent are coming. If it's not obvious, it better be obvious now. They are coming. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's about all I have, too. It's just we got to watch Tencent because no one seems to care. But except for me, I care. Yeah. I care. <laughs> no one. No one except us seems to care. Yeah. But it's getting bad or could. Uh, All right. Number three, in a statement released on Thursday, California-based company Deviation Games confirmed that chief creative officer and co-founder Jason Blundell is no longer working at the studio. This is of interest to PlayStation gamers as the studio is currently developing an original IP backed and published uh, that that is backed and will be published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Blundell previously served as the Treyarch co-studio head and was one of the lead creators of Call of Duty Zombies mode before leaving Activision in 2020 after 13 years. Following Blundell's departure, Deviation will continue to be led by fellow co-founder Dave Anthony, who also assumed the role of game director this year. As part of the statement, Deviation also announced that Westwood Studios co-founder Louis Louis Castle has joined the company as senior vice president of development. Anthony, who wrote the screenplay for 2010's Black Ops and 2012's Black Ops 2, and Blundell announced Deviation on stage at the Summer Game Fest kickoff live event last June. Uh, So why do I care about this? I care about this because just a little over a year ago, these two guys announced the founding of this studio, and then shortly after that, PlayStation came in and said that they're engaging with this company. They're not buying deviation but they've entered into a publishing partnership uh, where they're funding the creation of this ip probably will own this ip this is one of playstation's 10 live service games that they're trying to get and we have to look at these two guys dave anthony was the writer okay blundell was the designer of the zombies mode so you've got the guy that designed the gameplay and the mode that you're probably trying to replicate in some sort of live service game. He's the guy that's bailed, not the writer, the designer. Why did he bail? I don't know. We can only speculate. Maybe he doesn't like the direction that PlayStation are pushing. Maybe he doesn't like some of their requests as a publisher. Maybe he just had a falling out with Anthony and it has nothing to do with PlayStation. Maybe, The guy's mom has cancer and he wants to go take care of her. I have no idea. It could be a number of things. It's just odd looking on the outside without more details. And it certainly makes me wonder, you know, what level this game is really at, how long it'll take to see us see it and what I should really expect from it when it finally comes out. Um, Yeah. Anything you'd like to add there, Kyle? Um, Do we know why... Jason Blundell left Activision in 2020. 
Uh, so I think he left Activision to go and found to start the studio. Oh, okay. I didn't know yeah. if there was like a falling out with Activision. Yeah. Or no, no, no. That one left. I think was a whole. I want to go and try and do my own thing. Okay. Type type deal. This one, the statement provided no details of why the man left. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it, it could be as you know sad and and uh, personal as like a you know a parent is ill or something like that. It could be just professional creativity differences that they just decided to kind of do their own things, or it could be who knows what else. Um, yeah. Well, time will tell, I guess. Yeah. I mean, lead designers leaving mid project has never been good for a game. I don't mm-hmm. feel like. No. Nope. And so, I mean, maybe since it's only like a year year and a half in development, maybe it won't be that big a deal, but either way that puts that immediately puts it on the radar for there could be issues with this yeah, game. Keep your eye on it. Especially because this guy let like you said he left Activision to go start the studio with this idea and l- just a year later he's out. He doesn't yeah. want to be a part of it. That's odd. <clears throat> yeah, that's, All right, number f- go ahead. All right, number four, Electronic Arts has officially revealed Ridgeline Games, the new Battlefield studio being led by Halo co-creator Marcus Leto. The Seattle-based studio was established last October and has been staffing up for its debut project, which will be a, quote, narrative campaign in the Battlefield universe, end quote. <clears throat> Game director and Ridgeline studio head Leto said the following, quote, it is a great honor to have the opportunity to collaborate with DICE and Ripple Effect and lead the charge on expanding the narrative, storytelling, and character development opportunities in the Battlefield series, end quote. In December, EA announced its intention to create a connected Battlefield universe alongside widespread changes to the franchise's development structure. As part of these plans, DICE's former general manager, Oscar Gabrielson, Gabrielson left EA to altogether, while Respawn and Infinity Ward co-founder Vince Zampella took on a new role as the overseer of the entire Battlefield franchise. Quote, We're continuing to invest in the future of the franchise by bringing in new talent and perspectives, Zampella said in today's announcement. With Marcus and his team at Ridgeline Games joining the world-class global team we have already in place, Battlefield is in the strongest position to succeed. End quote. I've never been a Battlefield fan, not really played many of their games they're in deep shit right now yeah and they needed a hard reset and that's why they brought zampella in to do stuff uh brought zampella over to the side to to try to do something with it and that's why they brought in you know one of in my opinion um the the most legendary figures in game development and and leto um Obviously, you have uh, Jason uh, Staten, uh, who's back with 343 right now. And then also you've got, uh, I'm trying to remember his name that owns and runs Bungie, and I can't remember his name right now. Uh, But these were the three guys that really created Halo back in the day. And so, you know, I think what Bungie's still doing is great. I think what Staten has tried to do in terms of the core gameplay loop of Halo Infinite is good. failing on the other stuff so it'd be really interesting to see what Leto has to do here and I'll be keeping my eye on it but like I said I'm not a Battlefield fan I've never yeah. really been a Battlefield fan yeah I've never really I'm, I mean this I'm in the same situation as you I've never really played a Battlefield but um, one of my buddies is a big Battlefield fan 
And when he saw this news, we talked about it a little bit earlier this week. He was saying the only thing he is scared of is them bringing in the Halo creator and the um, and putting respawn like the own the co-founder of respawn over all of it. He worries that they'll change like the gunplay of it to be more mm-hmm. like something like Apex or Halo. That's a little bit more like I don't know how to explain it. Like more floaty, I guess. Like more sure. floaty yeah. shooting rather than something like Call of Duty or like what Battlefield is now, which is more like realistic and like fast paced and like. Yeah, they use trigger. that really uh, trite term boots on the ground uh, yeah. often. But I think that does describe the difference in gameplay that you're kind of talking about, where you're much more realistic i guess in your movement mm-hmm. and 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 the way the gunplay is supposed to feel rather than like like you said halo you're some kind of giant super soldier destiny you're this space wizard right you know mm-hmm. titanfall is even very different because you've got yeah. these giant titans and you can wall run and do all these crazy stuff so mm-hmm. yeah i i hear you i i, I hear what you're saying I, you know, my opinion is that I think Zampella is coming from a game development direction perspective to try to make sure that people stay on target and make good overall decisions. Leto, maybe, I don't know. That's the difference. But mm-hmm. maybe, um, you know, maybe he's come in and he wants to do something different. Maybe he wants to, to develop within this different type of game. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But yeah. I can understand your friend's concerns there. All right, moving on. Number five, CD Projekt has said it remains fully committed to building the Cyberpunk IP following the news that it's only planning a single expansion for 2077, for Cyberpunk 2077, uh, not the year. We're not going to wait 50 <laughs> years for this to come out. Uh, the statement was made during CD Projekt's half-year earnings call on Wednesday after executives were asked to provide further details on the company's Cyberpunk 2077 expansion strategy and reads as follows, quote, On the question on further expansions for Cyberpunk, we decided to develop one major expansion for Cyberpunk, which is going to take advantage of all the capabilities of the new-gen consoles, said Michael Novakowski, CD Projekt's SVP of Business Development. Having said that, we're fully committed to developing the Cyberpunk IP further, so beyond this particular expansion, we've put a lot of effort and time into building this franchise, and we definitely want to continue to build upon what was built right now with new stories, new experiences, new content, just not in a video game format. But I'll leave it there. So in terms of expansions, there's going to be just one major expansion. However, there's going to be new stuff in the future, end quote. CD Projekt Red announced Cyberpunk 2077's major expansion titled Phantom Liberty during Night City Wire during the Night City Wire broadcast on Tuesday of this week. The spy thriller expansion will feature the return of Johnny Silverhand, the character played by Keanu Reeves, alongside a new cast of characters, and it will be coming to PC, PS5, Xbox Series X, and S, and Stadia only, which is very interesting. They are dropping the PS4 and Xbox One versions uh, for this expansion. Yeah, uh, I th- I think that's a very good move. In fact, I think that they should have made this move before they released the base game. <laughs> I think that agree. way too much um, like development time went into trying to get it to work on the cons- on the last generation consoles that just couldn't handle it. 
And I think the entire game would have been better for it on PC and on the new gen consoles. I completely agree. A hundred percent. No debate here. (laughs) And I think a lot of games have learned that lesson from Cyberpunk. Uh, Gotham Knights being one example, it's about to release next month. They were originally going to have a last gen version and they canceled that. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, additionally, CD Projekt confirmed that it is planning to release more than one game in what is referred to as the second Witcher saga, with the first game currently in pre-production as well, as confirming that the updated version of The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt remains scheduled to be released for new-gen consoles and PC later this year. Um, did you play Cyberpunk? I know, because we talked about Witcher 3 earlier, so I know you mm-hmm. didn't play that one. I mean, you tried it, but you didn't finish it. Yeah. Did you play Cyberpunk? So it's kind of the same situation. So I ha- I own it on PC, but when everything went down, like from the beginning, I almost got like a sour taste on my mouth. And so I like played it for like an hour, maybe, mm-hmm. and then left it alone. And I also just have a thing, like it's hard for me to like put a ton of hours into a game on PC anyway, because mm-hmm. me and my wife share a PC and she's working on her thesis, which always takes precedence over me gaming. Gaming, yes. <laughs> and so um, that's part of it. But the other part was, I mean, it was so buggy in the beginning. I was almost like, not for me, but I know a lot of people had that. I took the route of I'll wait until it's patched and I have time and then I'll get into it. So maybe just wait until this expansion comes out and just... <laughs> Go to town all at once. Yeah, that might that might be what I do. All right, moving on. Number six, Sony Interactive Entertainment. And this is our final story. Uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment has announced that Representative Director and Executive Vice President Masayasu Ito is retiring on October 1. He will be replaced by Lin Tao, who is already serving as a director. Bloomberg reports that the 60-year-old's resignation is due to his decision to retire why am I bringing this story up? Some people might ask. This seems really in the weeds. Well, Masayasu Itu joined Sony in 1986 as a technician and engineer on car audio parts before moving to the company's gaming arm, Sony Computer Entertainment, in 2000, where he was put in charge of hardware design for the PlayStation platform. At first, Ito was in charge of designing peripherals for the PS2 and LCD monitors for the PS1 before helping in the development of the PSP handheld, where his biggest contribution was in improving the thermals so you could actually hold the PlayStation Portable while under full load. (laughs) Ito would later go on to design the PS3 hardware before gaining complete design control of the PS4 on both the hardware and system software sides. Finally, as hardware director, he oversaw development of the PSVR and PS5. So this man, designer, engineer for PS3, PS4, and PS5, um, really overseeing, I think in large part, uh, Sony's reemergence as the dominant uh, console uh, designer uh, with the PS4. PS4, um, the PS4 came out at a time where many pundits were saying that consoles, home consoles were going to be the thing of the past, that Mm -hmm. the PS4 and Xbox One would be the last generation. And instead, we saw the total opposite. We saw a console come out from PlayStation that people really gravitated towards. It's now the second highest selling home console of all time. Um, And it's led to the PS5, which I think is a truly um, 
le- uh, you know, real step forward that the PS5 and the Xbox Series X to to a slightly lesser extent, not too far behind, but to a slightly lesser extent, a real leap forward for home consoles. And uh, yeah, I feel like we should, you know, what's the word? I, I mean, I don't want to say, I mean, he's not dead, right? He's, he's yeah. retiring, but you know, we should really, you know, take this moment to kind of thank him for what he gave us uh, console players. Uh, yeah, on this definitely. Side. I mean, he's, it's definitely, it's almost like you almost want to like grieve a little bit because it's like what happens now like who takes over yes. what happens from this point on is the next person whoever makes the ps6 or whatever they call it are mm-hmm. they gonna hold things to the standards that he did it's almost Will i mean obviously this innovation? has to happen yeah yeah i mean at some point this has to happen like i mean because he's been with the company since 86 sure. but it's still a. Uh, still makes you question the future a little bit. Yeah, and and it comes at a time where a lot of PlayStation gamers are looking at the transition that we've already had with with um, Jim Ryan, and we're not happy about that. You know, we, we don't like Jim Ryan. We wish that we could go back to the Shuhei Yoshida days and, and the innovation and the vision that PlayStation had back then. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit nervy, but you know, the man's definitely earned, uh, his Mai Tais and mojitos on a beach, uh, definitely 35 something years in the industry has got to wear on you. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving on to game announcements. We got a handful of them. Uh, Microsoft has officially announced the long reported white version of the Xbox Elite Series 2 controller. The controller will be called the Xbox Elite Wireless Controller Series 2 Core. Wow. They really just, God, they're so bad at naming things over there. Um, and this, <laughs> the oh controller God. is similar to the Black Elite Series 2 controller, but with fewer accessories. As a result, the controller, which will be available on September 21, will cost $129.99 instead of the $179.99 being charged for the black version. Players will be able to buy a separate, complete component pack for $59.99 if they want the other accessories, including the carrying case and charging dock. Uh, I don't have too much to say about this other than I don't like the Elite controllers. I think the build quality is really poor. I own two of the Series 1 Elites, and they both failed in the same ways in the same time period, which was like a year of use, which is wow. completely unacceptable for me um, for a controller of that price. But, and, uh, yeah. And see, I've had the complete opposite experience with my Elite Series 2 controller. Because okay. I have the black version of this. Okay. I've had it for a year. I mean, I've only had it for a year and a half now that I'm thinking back on it. But okay. it is, I mean, it's the only thing I use for FPSs now. Mm. And I love it. I mean, it's almost to the point where I can't play an FPS without it with the back yeah. paddles. Yeah, yeah. No, I love the concept and the idea. And it was the first one to really come out and do it well, at least in terms of it seemed like well, but the mm-hmm. build quality for me was just always so poor. The bumpers would just fall apart. I'd get stick drift. Um, I had buttons that like the, like I think it was like the Y button, which is not even a button that you use very often, just stopped working on the controllers. Jeez. 
You know, um, some people are like, well, I mean, do you get mad at your games? Yes, I get mad at my games. Sometimes I might be a little too hard on my controllers, but I'm telling you, I've done it to all of the controllers I've owned across five major consoles uh, over the last 10 years. And this is the only one that's fallen apart like this. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, you know? that a year is not acceptable at all. That's insane. Yep. So I, maybe they've, maybe they made it better with the series too. Maybe they, took I hope so. Your complaints and they made, cause the series too, I feel like is a really nice controller. I really enjoy it. Good. But, well, I, I, I hope it lasts for you. Yeah. And uh, I hope the series two are better controllers. All right, number two, Marvel's Midnight Suns will release this year after all. Publisher 2K and developer Fraxis have confirmed. In a new trailer that premiered on Friday at the uh, showcase that we discussed earlier in the show, uh, the XCOM studio confirmed a release date of December 2, 2022 for PC, Xbox Series XS, and PlayStation 5. <clears throat> so yeah, if you're looking forward to that one, that is one that will come out this year. They've managed to find a way to get it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's good for them. I don't right, blame them for trying to force it in considering the year that next year is going to be with games. It feels like everything is coming out in 2023 at this point. They they would be lost in early yes. 2023 if they if they released there. So, very good call. I agree. All right, number 3 Activision has officially announced Call of Duty Warzone Mobile and the publisher said it plans to unveil the title at Call of Duty event next week. Taking place on September 15th, Call of Duty Next will also include new details on Modern Warfare 2 and Warzone 2. So look forward to that if you're a Call of Duty fan. Number four, South Korean action game Gungrave Gore is officially coming to Xbox Game Pass on day one starting November 22nd of this year. Publisher Prime Matter will also release the game for PS4, PS5, and PC via Steam on the same date. Gungrave Gore is the sequel to Gungrave and Gungrave Overdose, which were released on the PS2 in 2002 and 2004, respectively. I have no idea what this game is, but if you're looking forward to it, it's free on Game Pass, in quotes. All right, number five, Sony Interactive Entertainment has unveiled a new gray camouflage accessories collection for PlayStation 5. The new gray camouflage style will be available for DualSense controllers, Pulse 3D headset, and PS5 covers. Uh, the controller and console cover will be available exclusively via PlayStation Direct for two weeks beginning October 14th before being offered at other participating retailers on October 28th, while the headset will be available starting in December. I already own six PS5 controllers. I have one of every color. So uh, this will be my seventh. Uh, at this point, I, uh, <laughs> I am a collector. So I will be grabbing this one when it comes out as well. So for this, are they, um, is it just the covers or is it a whole new like set? So like, it'll be a new PS5, like full model that has that or are they just just releasing the plates? Yeah. It's just the plates. Okay. Yeah. So So this, this was why they sued all of those people years ago. I can't point to it. My (laughs) PS5 back here, right there. Yeah. So the white plates, they're removable. Um, okay. And, and there are already other colors that you can buy. And yes, this is 100% why they sued that company, because they wanted to do it <laughs> themselves. Um, so, yep, you can get a great camouflage 
and you you kind of need it because this damn thing is so big. You kind of need some kind of camouflage, something <laughs> to hide that sucker uh, from from the world. I started hearing people refer to it as looking like a vagina, and uh, ever since they started saying that, I can't unsee it now. So. So you've yeah. got that on one side and then you've got your mini fridge on the other side of the yeah. TV. You've got, yeah, I've got the mini fridge behind my TV too, or to the side of it. So yeah, the mini I fridge understand. being the Series X, right? Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, per Jason's request, I have deleted the free game section. So let's just get into upcoming releases. We got Still Rising and Splatoon 3 and NBA 2K23 all this week. Uh, very different games. A Souls-like, a Nintendo first-person shooter. Although I guess it's not first-person, is it? I don't. It's I guess it's third-person. Yeah, uh, I think, and I don't know. your basketball game. So lots of variety there. If any of those interest you, I've also uh, heard that with the two K twenty-three, apparently Doctor Disrespect is in the game. Oh my! Somehow, God. I don't know how. I think he's just, just an like, NPC, like in there, but. Hmm. His there's like a model of him in the game as an NPC. <laughs> this is like when Jake from State Farm was a part of NBA 2K22. <laughs> All oh, right, excellent stuff. Later in the month, you can get Shovel Knight Dig on September 23rd, Grounded on September 27th, and Valkyrie Elysium on September 29th. Uh, last but not least, uh, we've got some. Uh, Game Pass news for you. So uh, coming to Game Pass over this past week, uh, you've got the Dreamlight Valley Founders Edition, Opus Magnum, and Train Sim World 3, as well as Ashes of the Singularity DC Le- and DC League of Super Pets. Uh, so if you've got kids, you know, a couple of interesting things there, Disney Dreamlight Valley and DC League of Super Pets, um, you can kind of give them new games without actually having to go to the store and buying them all new games. So that's pretty exciting. Kyle, what do you think? And so the one thing I wanted to point out is um, a Plague Tale Innocence is leaving on September 15th. And isn't that the game, like the sequel comes out in October, I think? Yes, you are absolutely correct. That's a good shout. And so if you want to finish a Plague Tale Innocence before I think it's a Plague Tale Requiem comes out, mm-hmm. you'll have to do it before September 15th. I'm kind of talking to myself here. I don't know if I'm going to get it done, but I've kind of wanted to play that game. I don't even know if I have time anymore. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, obviously, Requiem is coming to Game Pass on day one as well, I believe. So... You know, if you want to get both of them as part of your game service, uh, definitely go check that out quickly. I was going to look up how long to beat. I don't think that um, that game is particularly long. Let's see here. Plague Tale. It's 10 to 12 hours long, so that's going to be difficult uh, to do in less than a week, but, you Mm -hmm. know... If you got a lot of time on your hands this weekend, uh, you can go knock that out probably uh, yeah. before it leaves the service. All right. That's all we've got for this week. Uh, I turned a, a light news week into a two-hour show. I don't know how <laughs> I do that. I really don't. It, you know, it seems to happen a lot. But did you have the, fun coming back? 
I did. I had a lot of fun. I think the Batman and then how long we took on the games we've been playing packed it in quite a... It, it, it really did. Yeah. That's all my fault. I had to get the Batman off my chest and I had to go and play way too much this past week. So <laughs> I'll take the L on that one. But hopefully you, the listeners, enjoyed everything we had to say. Kyle, why don't you take us home since you're our guest tonight? All right. I'll take us out. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the 112th episode of the TriCast Gaming Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Remember to like, subscribe, and review on your podcasting app of choice. And if you have any questions for the show, DM us on Twitter or Facebook. The show will be back again next week with episode 113. Have a great weekend, stay safe, and game hard.